and welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Gavin. Nice to meet you. Oh, you know what? That was kind of a a good dubbed voice, like if you were dubbing classic Hong Kong cinema back in the 70s or 80s. Why, thank you. Yes. (laughs) Master AJ. No, I was thinking more contemporary. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, looks like somebody didn't turn their phone on silent. No, someone didn't, and someone has a teacher tech uh, calling them, so I'm going to text that teacher back. And be like, hey, this is my lunch break. Dun, 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 dun. So, anyway, uh, Gavin has had a very hectic, stressful day, but he still made the time to come and record, so thank you, Gavin. I'm sure everyone appreciates it. It's about owning your time and taking responsibility for your dreams. Exactly. Brother. Brother. Yeah. Woo! As Ric Flair would say. Sorry, that really popped uh, with it the mic. Pop. But then that's all right. That's, you know, Ric Flair. Woo. Anyways, how are you, my friend? I'm doing I'm doing quite well. I, I look forward to, to, these, to these moments in time when we get to talk about martial art films. Thanks. Thanks. That was very, uh, I feel like. 1980s uh, pop song, and uh, it, it yes, it was very pop song, and I'm gonna stop popping sounds over here. Yeah. So my apologies to my co-host, my esteemed co-host, and our esteemed audience yes. listeners. And uh, so this week, I I got the episode out, but I got it out a day late. However, it did immediately come out on Apple Podcasts, so that's nice. Uh, the funny part is, I had some people reach out to me. Uh, the week before when it didn't come out right away like hey what's the deal uh like our uh number one super fan listener mr aaron vargas so i just sent him over to uh soundcloud or spotify to listen soundcloud i think because i can now see how many times he's uh listened to our episode so he's definitely our number one super fan so thank you very cool mr vargas plus uh because you're not really on Instagram so much, and I don't know what else he posts on, but he posted a timeline of like his kicks, the evolving yeah. of his, and that's talk about putting in the effort. Because wow, huge difference! And he's doing like, I forget what he worded it as, like uh, cheat tricking, which to uh-huh. me, I'm like that still looks pretty damn impressive. His flow of kicks, and if I'm not mistaken, he told us he didn't start until like his 20s. He just kind of on a whim was like, I want to start doing this stuff, and if so, that just goes to show people doesn't matter how old you are, you can start at any age because he's now kicking like a guy who's been kicking his whole life. So my hat's off to you, Mr. Vargas. Uh, so I, you, were, you were, yes, absolutely. So for, first and foremost, he does post videos on Twitter and I was going to send you some, but then I'm like, I don't know if you, you're seeing this, but you're probably seeing it on uh, Instagram. But yeah, just to see his progression, it's actually, it's, it's heartwarming, it's inspiring. And uh, I don't know. It's it's. I like that he's also showing the progression. I think a lot of times, people when they're starting out, they don't really show their their beginning until they hit their after. And what I like about this the the journey of Mr. Vargas is he's showing us the journey from the beginning, and now he's way past the beginning stages. And it's just great to see that progression. And like I said, inspiring. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Uh, so, how are you today? I'm doing well. Good, good. Let's. Uh, you got any movie news? Uh, I believe that. Well, there is one film on ha- the Haya app that I'm 
extremely excited about watching. It's both in the Chinese or Cantonese version and English dub version, I believe. So I will be watching it at least twice, which will put my total watching up to probably 98 and 99 times. So of course, once again, the Haya app, uh, we're reviewing a movie from there today. We love it. It's our favorite app. Uh, fantastic uh, folks over there from WellGo USA. This is their streaming app for martial arts films. I suggest Anybody listens to our podcast, go and subscribe to that. Very reasonably priced for what you get. The movies they announced for this month, it's crazy. So the movie that Gavin's referring to is The Champions, which I've never actually even seen because it's kind of one of those rare Golden Harvest ones that's hard to get a hold of. So it's a soccer themed <clears throat> movie. Excuse me. Does that does soccer make you like regurgitate in your mouth there? Sorry about that, folks. Uh, I had to drink some water. I love to. Uh, so for people that don't know, Gavin is not only a lifelong soccer player. He's like a he was a semi-professional in his prime and was going to go uh, try out to play what would be professional in Japan when you hurt yourself. Or Yes. Yeah, unfortunately. And, you know, it's the way. But, hey, maybe it's a good thing because otherwise you would become this huge superstar and never come back. Then this podcast would have never existed and we wouldn't be where we are today. Or else we, I would just do one episode and there'd be so much clout. Yeah. <laughs> but anywho, so the champions, they've also released uh, the Miracle Fighters or it's coming out at some point. So a lot of classic Hong Kong films and unlike certain other apps where maybe they even get a hold of maybe not as obscure of a film, but they'll get a hold of a Hong Kong one. It's just the same crappy old pan and scan VHS copy. Mm-hmm. No, they're releasing like the real deal 2K rescanned, HD, et cetera, et cetera. So that's cool. Definitely some news there about those movies. Uh, the trailer for the newest Donnie Yen one came out. I saw that, his uh, mountain climbing one, the comeback home. Well, not mountain climbing, but like, I think it's his family is like, uh, you know, they're hiking or whatever and get stranded and he has to go save them. So definitely not a martial arts pick, but looks interesting. Uh 88 Films released their box set of Writing Wrongs, which, uh, as I mentioned, probably Mm -hmm. like six or seven months ago, I helped arrange the interview with our sensei, Mr. Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham. So that'll be great. I'll definitely have to order that. But speaking of ordering films from the UK, so I have my region-free Blu-ray player that I uh, was recommended to me by uh, Mr. Topher, the other Wing Chun guy. And it's been fantastic. So I started ordering a bunch of movies from the UK, Eureka, 88 Films, et cetera, et cetera. They've all been great. So uh, I'm waiting for, and keep in mind, these take like a month to get to me. So I've been waiting and waiting for Duel to the Death, one that I ordered. Looking forward to it. Classic from the early 80s. It's a swordsmanship movie. Uh, When I was younger, those weren't really my cup of tea, but now... You know, I, I, I love that film. I wanted a remastered version of it. So it finally arrives. I'm excited. I pick it up. It's kind of big and poofy, you know, which is normal. A lot of times they have like cushioning on the inside. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. I open it up. It's a child's tutu costume. Okay. Yeah. I open it up. I thought it was like the wrapper. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I pull it out. I'm like, what the? And I trust me, I use a lot of explicit language around Jessica because I was not happy because you know you pay a lot of money for this you wait a month and then I open it up and it's literally a tutu a child's costume and I'm like it's as if it should have been sent to my school not to your home worth at most like five bucks US and so I was just like what so obviously whoever the shipper was from the UK because the interesting part was it had my name and address but my label was put on top of another label so mm-hmm. it's almost like 
I don't know what they were trying to do, but I ordered this through Prime, so I get my money back, uh, and I'm sending it back. But now I'm angry because it's not like one of those things where, oh, it takes two days to get the new one. If I want to reorder this one, it's going to take a month, and I now know not to go through that seller. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I was I was not happy uh, in the least bit. But my copy of Project A 1 and 2 did come, so you, you would like That's, to hear that. I do like to hear that. And I, I'm looking forward because I know we've, we've discussed Project A 1 and 2 in the past. I mean, Project... A2 is not just a classic film. It is of the highest caliber. Yes. It's like classic film meets that like Jackie Chan, Steven Spielberg style of filmmaking, extremely high caliber. Project A1, I think is a classic, but I was fortunate to see the like the version that was released in Japan, not the butchered version. I can't even tell you what what the difference is, but I can't get through like 15 minutes of the original just because it's something's missing the well, heart the music the editing but the, you have you yeah. have all the versions now right well so i don't actually have the the one i think you're referring to the terrible one which is the one i saw as a kid so project a2 never got like that post jackie rumble in the bronx era release mm-hmm. uh so the version i had of that was my vhs i ordered from tai sang dubbed in english the original classic version awesome but project a was released by miramax and it was given a redub uh you know new audio and it was interesting because it came out like 97 98 maybe and they marketed it like you know oh you know the, the newest jackie chan movie whatever whatever but obviously it was set during like you know it's a period piece and there was just just they redubbed it and it was that terrible dub and if i'm not mistaken it was that one person that used to dub jackie's voice that had yes. like a heavy accent it, i couldn't even it place was, it was so you you would uh, if people aren't familiar with this like jackie in the 90s was redubbing some of his own films mm-hmm. and but then what when he wouldn't do that they'd have like a really terrible impersonator doing his voice while everyone else is like normalized american english around him uh, their dub version and it just it is just uh it it just it's like fingers on a chalkboard to me right. with all due respect to that actor who well the thing know, did is the job he was paid to do they were they were having him do like an accent but it's not even an asian accent i don't know what it's supposed to be so maybe it's this person's actual real accent but then again why were they dubbing jackie chan uh if it you know because like you said everybody else just has your standard north american accent yeah so if you're not actually going to commission Jackie Chan to do the dubbing for himself commission one of the other actors so that it's 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 in sync it was just anyway long story short I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say about watching Project A when that time arises for you I think it's going to be a special experience but time will tell yeah and I have seen the original version uh now, I mean, I, I got a copy of it years ago, so and it was definitely a million times better. But I'm looking forward to watching it on my big TV because keep in mind, this version I got was from Hong Kong when I was living in China. So probably any setup I had was just a normal TV. So I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to watching it on my big flat screen with my you know speakers and all that jazz. And then obviously Project A2, I love. So that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. So, anyways, let's segue into. Uh, our quotes. So the quotes, time to beat AJ. Let's see. What is your first easy quote? The easy quote is pain don't hurt. Oh, so you decided to go with Roadhouse. Yeah. All right. Because I mean, it's, it's topical. We just talked about it two episodes ago. It's not too. It's it. I figured it would be a little difficult 
If 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 we weren't within the shadow of the Roadhouse recording, this <laughs> that's what you say. But little do you know, I watch Roadhouse every morning. <laughs> I get up at th- I get up at three a.m. to watch it before I get up at five a.m. to go to the gym before I go to work. That's the billionaire's mindset, right there, yeah. folks. <laughs> three a.m. Roadhouse, always. The next quote: mm-hmm. That woman deserves her revenge. And we deserve to die. Oh, very good quote. So technically, that one is both Kill Bill Volume 1 and Volume 2 because it's in the little montage at the end of Kill Bill Volume 1, but it's also in Kill Bill Volume 2, uh, if I'm not mistaken, at the beginning. So we're talking about Michael Madsen uh, playing Bud, the brother of Bill in the Kill Bill series. There you go. Yeah. It's not that difficult a quote, but I figured... Hey, we haven't talked about Kill Bill in a while, so maybe I'd try and catch you with the curveball. Yeah, that's actually one of Jessica's favorites. So that's kind of a go-to when, we'll, when we just need something in the background and stuff, uh, especially because I believe they're on HBO Max right now. So great movies, uh, a lot to break down in those. I'm still waiting for the release of them as one movie because I really feel that's what hindered Kill Bill for me. And I really feel seeing it as one film like it was meant to be, like a three-hour-plus epic with all the scenes that were cut. That mm-hmm. is the complete picture right there. That that I would I would uh, certainly enjoy that screening, and it, particularly if it uh, included those scenes with Michael J. White, I presume. You killed my master Mo, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> I, I can't remember. It's been a long time since I've seen those deleted scenes. But anywho, uh, should we segue into what we are talking about today? Segway. All righty, today, folks, we are talking about the nineteen. 19- 77 Hong Kong martial arts classic Broken Oath, starring the one and only femme fatale herself, Angela Mao Ying, and co-starring the likes of Bruce Leung, Chen Wai Man, Dean Shek, Sammo Hung, and many more, and directed by Jong Chang Hua, the director most famous for probably everybody's first introduction to martial arts cinema in the early 70s, King Boxer, a.k.a. Five Fingers of Death. Very nice introduction. Thank you. So what did you think? Uh, So I watched... So first of all, this was a film... I've been trying to get a hold of for years. Never seen. Uh, technically, it's a, it's a little bit later. So it's a Golden Harvest film, obviously. But this is, it, it was that weird in-between era. Post-Bruce, pre-Jackie and Sammo blowing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe this would have been just before Iron Fisted Monk came out, even, uh, with uh, Sammo Hung. So it was kind of Golden Harvest's little in-between period. And so, anywho... I had never uh, been able to get a copy of this movie. And coincidentally enough, a couple years ago, like right, I remember right before we left L.A., I was just, you know, scouring on the Internet looking for any sort of DVD release of it. And I was like, I was going to pay like, I forget, something like 75 bucks because I just really wanted to see it. Uh, and then it's randomly put on the Hi-Ya app this summer. And I'm like, perfect. And it's a beautiful remastered copy. We have both the uh, – is it the Mandarin version that's available, I believe? You know, I just jumped straight Yeah, so did I. So they have a Chinese dialogue one, uh, I presume was probably Mandarin. Uh, It it depends. Sometimes they have Cantonese uh, and Mandarin, uh, but – and then the English dub. So uh, we both opted to watch the English dub just to make our lives uh, easier in a sense. Uh, And yeah, so interesting picture because first of all, 
it is a direct remake of Lady Snowblood. Coincidentally enough, is that why you picked the Kill Bill quote or is that just coincidence? No, that was on my mind. Okay, so Lady Snowblood was a huge inspiration and influence for Quentin Tarantino in uh, the Kill Bill films and the character of the bride. So much so there's a lot uh, both visually and uh, thematically that's borrowed from Lady Snowblood. Uh, so it's a classic Japanese film from the 70s, which coincidentally enough, I watched last year for the first time because it's on HBO Max. Definitely go and watch that film if you haven't. So this is literally just a remake of that film. Same exact plot and setup. Uh, and so the story pretty much takes place. Uh, a uh, a woman is, her and her husband, they're officials of some sort. They're betrayed by members of their group. Uh, and then... The husband's murdered and she's forced to be the mistress of one of the villains. And when she tries to kill him, uh, he like frames her and they send her off to prison. She's pregnant with her child uh, who uh, and she dies giving birth in prison, but not before she pretty much puts upon the child to avenge her and her husband and and in lady snowblood the japanese version i feel like there's a much more mythical element to it because Mm -hmm. i feel like it's like she's born knowing who to kill it's like she already sees them in her head if i'm not mistaken whereas is that correct do you remember exactly so i full disclosure it's been a little while since i've seen lady snowblood and i did want to watch it before this episode however my i didn't but my recollection is you are correct i think that while it is a direct remake, there are definitely nuances between these films that make one film a little more, definitely more Japanese and the other form uh, film more Chinese. And it's nice to like feel those nuances and see those nuances, like even just in the visuals, but to, to cut back to uh, what you're saying, it is definitely more mythical. We do know that our, uh, our protagonist, our heroine in this film uh, at, at one point says she feels like she needs revenge, but she doesn't know she she doesn't know her mission, but it's not like, it's not a vision that she sees. Right. Exactly. That she has. So same thing. Yeah. So that, that is a similar element. Uh, It's just in this one, it's slightly more grounded in reality because she's given the names. Right. And like, she doesn't, it, it could be, I'm mistaken, but either which way. So mom dies, giving birth, the baby's born. The, the woman that was friends with her in prison is released with the child, but she doesn't want the child to grow up seeking revenge. So she brings her to like a Buddhist monastery But growing up, she learns martial arts and stuff, and she inherently has, as you said, this need for revenge, this need for eliminating the evil of the world, as we see when she's uh, attacked by a group of men that pretty much want to sexually assault her, and she kills them all. So they, quote-unquote, banish her from the temple, more so just like, well, I guess you got to do what you got to do. And that's what sets the events of the film, where she goes to uh, find her auntie, the one that brought her there, and is like, yo, tell me the truth. What's the story of my parents? And then, you know, she gets the names of the the men responsible and she sets off to avenge her parents, uh, which is where the action of the film comes into play. So, once again, this is an interesting picture because it's kind of, it was in that win, a weird in-between zone. So, so this is Golden Harvest. At the same time, we had Shaw Brothers still. And it, it was like, 
both, uh, so obviously the two major film companies. And in the early 70s, we started off with as a what I think is the much better term now, which has been coined by certain film experts like Michael Worth and others, you know, the basher genre, where we had the beginning of the truly the Kung Fu Pian as opposed to the Wuxia Pian. So uh, as opposed to the Wuxia picture, we were getting the Kung Fu movie. The first one really would be uh, the one arm, uh, excuse me, the Chinese uh, boxer with uh Jimmy Wong Yu. Uh, and then from there, the first major one that got like worldwide play was King Boxer, a.k.a. Five Fingers of Death. And these films, mm-hmm. the, the choreography is much more what I like to call rough and tumble, right? You, you see glimpses of the ingenuity that would come later on. A lot of the biggest fight choreographers of all time were, you know, uh, learning their craft during this period. And so it, it's it's not as slick. It's not as finessed the lead actors sometimes were not even martial artists by trade so this is one of those films that's right at the tail end of the basher genre being completed and that new age finessed hong kong hard-hitting chris choreography uh being born so on both ends so for example like Lao Gar Lung the famous fight choreographer for Shaw Brothers uh, you know this was right around the time where the films like the Five Venoms and stuff were coming out where we were getting that much more nuanced clean style of choreography and then over at Golden Harvest same thing you have Sammo, Jackie, uh, Yuan Ping. those guys were just starting to come with their clean cut choreography, as I like to call it. So this one's interesting. It has elements of both. It's uh, and obviously, as I mentioned before, our director Jung Cha Hua, a Chang Hua, uh, who is a Korean director. He started off in Korean cinema and then went to work over in Hong Kong uh, cinema, specifically for uh, like Golden Harvest, because Golden Harvest wanted that international feel. That's why they brought like cinematographers from Japan, filmmakers mm-hmm. from Korea, martial artists from Korea. That's why they were big on Hop Keto. They wanted that international flair to give something original. So uh, this director directed. Uh, you know, a plethora of films, but most famously, probably uh, Five Fingers of Death, as well as The Skyhawk, which is another great one, which just got released on the Haya app, uh, which would kind of be like the last of the true Wong Fei Hung movies, uh, where uh, Quan Ta King, uh, the original actor to play him in the uh, original film series, came back to play him. Uh, and it's set in Thailand. Interesting picture. I also watched that one uh, this summer, which once again, same thing. You can see the elements of new the new age Kung Fu movie being born in that film, but that one's like 75% old school basher style and then little bits. This one is interesting. It's because you have, you have a lot of the old school guys involved, but you also have a lot of the new school guys involved. So with that, we, it it has moments of back and forth. You have some fight scenes in there where you're like, okay, this is kind of that more, I hit you, you hit me style choreography, slightly more wooden, but then you have, moments where you're like oh damn this is this is some good stuff and it it, it the it goes back and forth throughout the entire picture from the so you can't say like oh the beginning starts off you know not as good and then it gets better it's there's fight scenes throughout where you have elements of both you have like real fast beats like pop 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 mm-hmm. you're like dang but then also maybe some more stiff and wooden delivery but i will say this the finale is definitely the stamp of hey 
we're stepping into a new age of kung fu choreography and delivery this is what is in store for you guys now in the future and uh a lot of that has to do with the actors involved in the finale that you mm-hmm. know didn't have as much of a part earlier in the film and that's not to take away from angela mao because angela mao is fantastic in this in fact i think this is the movie where her kicks look the absolute best. And that's not to say that her kicks weren't incredible before, but this film is where they finally got some of the camera angles, I feel more correctly, to show the power, especially of her spinning wheel kicks and stuff, the downward angles, like, you know, to give them uh, better shape, better uh, alignment to her opponent. And uh, as opposed to some of her earlier films where she's doing the exact same kicks, but they just didn't know how to capture them the right way. So that could have a lot to do with the fact that I'm pretty sure Yuan Wu Ping was the choreographer for this. I mean, he's listed as the stunt director. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, what's his name? Uh, I think Xiao Hua or I, uh, the, the stick fighter from Drunken Master, who is a well-known choreographer. Mm-hmm. He worked on it. I think he's in there at some point, too. Uh, obviously, Samuel's a villain at the end. Uh, I believe Corey Ewan pops up as a stuntman in there. there. I, yeah, I saw Corey Ewan. Now, alleged, uh, I don't know about you, but I, I was trying to keep my eyes peeled for... A few folks, but allegedly I, so I didn't come across Yun Biao. Allegedly he's involved, but there is a kick, like a kick combination near the end that I swear the body type of the, of the co-star protagonist, uh, shifted a little bit and it had to be, I just felt like it had to be, uh, uh, Yun Biao. Who, who would Yun Biao be doubling? Um, uh, they're fighting against the general at the end. Uh, Angela Mao has been stabbed. Uh, he, uh, which on. which guy? What did he look like? Uh, he was he was the spy, undercover spy who is now fighting f- with Angela Mao. Oh, okay, Bruce Leung. Thank you very much. Uh, no, definitely he was not double. That at was all. him. That was oh yeah. He's. I mean, he's. I mean, his kicks were fantastic. Yeah, yeah he's, there's a, there's a, like a three kick combo that I'm like, is yeah, was no, that you No, 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 no. Bruce Young, in my opinion. In fact, you know, the funny part is, I was rewatching, especially this one. I'm like, you know what? And he may have been one of my honorable mentions for our top kickers list, but he sh- he definitely should have. After this, film, yeah, he sh- he definitely is far from more a, on my radar from a technical standpoint. I think he was a better kicker than UNBL. That's definitely him. That's his style. And you could see because he's so short too, the delivery yeah, of those his, kicks. I mean, his, his like, his whip kicks are just fantastic. Yeah. His, I mean, just his main style supposedly, and I remember this from the Top Fighter documentary, is uh, Gojoru Karate. Uh, okay. And so, I mean, he learned uh, Cantonese opera from his father as a kid. But then, I mean, he learned uh, uh, an assortment of martial arts. But apparently, his main style was Gojoru, which not that those kicks would necessarily be Gojoru, but just even having the foundation of a strong, yeah. like, you well, know, I- kicking system. And yeah. No, throughout the film, I mean, it was it was just phenomenal. It was just enjoyable to watch him. But I would, there was just that one sequence where it was a little acrobatic, more acrobatic than I'd seen. But I, that was just me trying to find Yun Biao because allegedly he was. I just couldn't spot him. Maybe you did, but I didn't. Yeah, it's uh, I did not. And supposedly Yuan was in there, but I mean, you know, they could have done who knows, like a day player's work. Exactly. But, yeah. So, uh, was this your first time watching the movie? Uh, it actually was the whole way through. It actually was. I had seen clips, uh, but I had not seen the film. And I thought I had when you said it was the remake of Lady Snowblood because I, you know, I was I had this had been on my radar, but just never got my hands on it until uh, until the Haya app. Excellent. Well, there you go. There you go. So thank you, Haya app. Uh, and, and I will say that uh, Samo throughout his career has had some memorable 
hairstyles, <laughs> this film does not fail to fit within that uh, within that uh, historical Samuel hair. That being said, I feel like maybe this was one of the ones that suited him the best. I don't know, because he had a similar one to this in Shaolin Plot, but it was like a bald head on top and then the hair all the way mm-hmm. down the sides. And that one, I don't know. I, I think I liked his look. And he gets a cool little uh, fight bit. Uh, yes, he does. Spoiler it's- alert. He gets killed by his own weapon after getting blasted in the face by a yo-yo. Mich- <laughs> Angela Mao busts out uh, these yo-yos in the finale that are pretty badass. I will. I will say that you were talking about the finale being just the the coup d'état. I mean, just the, the piece just, de resistance. The, it's just phenomenal, right? But when I'm watching this, I'm actually starting to see elements that uh, that foreshadow what we're going to get in uh, Warriors Two and everything that's everything that sort of follows this film. You're you're right when you're breaking down the fight scenes. It is that there is some like standing stiffness, and then there's some fluid movement and of course you and i gravitate towards the fluid movement but it's it's a it's a film uh that takes place in a in a period of transition and and i think probably helps usher in that transition to that to that more fluid movement uh, you might have a little more historical context of when this film came out and other films that were doing that as well well excellent comparison to uh Warriors 2, because I see a lot of those similar elements, just even the set design, everything else. Now, this was 1977. If I'm not mistaken, that's also when Iron Fist and Monk came out, which was Samo's debut starring role, which he also directed, which same thing Mm -hmm. is kind of like still had some similar elements of Mm -hmm. the old school, but just slightly. It's like that was the stepping in because the finale of that one is like a, a step above two or three steps above this one right but this was uh, and it, you know 78 was when drunken master and snake and eagle shadow and then um mm-hmm. magnificent butcher so it's just this was a time of involvement things were getting crazy like and then a lot of the classic shaw brothers ones were coming out around that time i mean uh 36 chambers and stuff and so this this was a, a fantastic time i'm sure to be a martial arts movie fan where you got to see these movies coming out because like each one was better than the next and that's mm-hmm. as fans that's what we always want right and that's what we rarely get these days it takes a few years then we'll get that new one like a john wick-esque or a the raid or something and then everyone just tries to copy them and it's like oh, okay now but uh going back to some of uh the kicking and stuff so it's interesting bruce leon who we were just talking about uh he low-key steals the show in a sense i mean he doesn't yes. really come in martial arts wise predominantly till the end but and once again it's not take away from angela mao but that just goes to show kind of so angela mao's background was chinese opera so hence the physicality and how she's able to do everything she learned hop keto when she was sent over to korea with Samo and jackie in the early 70s you know that was the whole point they were trying to add a new flair to the martial arts give them that step above shaw brothers in the competition they did the whole film hop keto they did when taekwondo strikes stuff like that where they were really bringing in korean kind of martial artists uh filmmakers obviously like the director of this film but uh and she earned her black belt in Hapkido. Uh, I mean, they, I think they spent six months there, probably intensive training. But at the end of the day, I, I believe her Hapkido is legitimate. But at the same time, it's it's more so like she throws everything kind of like realistically in a sense. Like, yes. uh, how to explain this? Yeah. Kind of like I've learned Hapkido. This is how you do it for real. Whereas, yes, Bruce Leung probably did that with Gojo Ryu and stuff too, but his kicking fit abilities are so phenomenal. Like someone like Benny the Jet, where he can do that 
the full torque and turn of his body and then pull the kick where sometimes I feel like especially with like roundhouse kicks maybe Angela Mao wasn't able to do that as much especially because if she had good power in her kicks and someone's blocking kind of in a traditional Chinese style against a power roundhouse kick you know that could start to hurt after a while and so that's why a lot of the times I feel like it's almost like in order to do the choreography and because they're not trained fighters that know how to block in a different way and absorb a full force kick it's like maybe she doesn't torque her hip over all the way she doesn't twist on the ball of her foot 100% sometimes and I mean that just has to do with being a good performer and not wanting to hurt your fellow stuntman and stuff whereas as so that's why in this one they're able to capture her kicks at other angles that go to show wow she she was a phenomenal kicker they just maybe and maybe even I once again uh, capturing a, a female performer, how to make her look truly explosive and powerful. They were still mm-hmm. honing that craft as well. Because cool. if we jump forward, what would be, you know, eight years later, later to Yes Madam, holy crap, Cynthia Rothrock and Michelle Yeoh in that movie, that, that's two of the greatest performances of all time. The explosiveness, the power they have behind their moves. With it, what's, you're, you're absolutely spot on correct there. And what, what I think... Uh, what I think the film did, not just through editing and uh, through choreography and camera work, one thing that the film did to really bring the audience's attention to her kicking was I think it was the second uh, the second boss that she was going after, the second or third, pretty sure it was the second. Uh, she got advice to use your kicks, use your legs. If you use your legs, you'll beat him. Yep. So all of a sudden, we see this, un- we see... Uh, you know, uh, a plethora or uh, just a whole a whole slew of different uh, kicks being launched by Angela Mao uh, on her assailant. And that's when, you know, so not only are we getting to see this visually, but it's like the it's almost like the production's taking a pause and letting the audience know, watch her kicks. Yeah, and that sequence that you're talking about, it's uh, excellent you bring that up because I think she does like a two or three kick combo. Yes, she does. Which makes me think, holy crap, you know, she's had this capability all along. You know, it's just Mm -hmm. the ability to... And she's, and that's not a takeaway from her because all of her performances were great. She always had so much conviction. She has a ferocity to her. It's just at the same time... But this was for all of our performers because at the same time, look at someone like Samo who made your list as the greatest kicker. One of the greatest kickers, excuse me. And... Did he have the same abilities as, say, like Bruce Leung from this movie? Absolutely not. No, you're that. Yes, but so the, you're, the, it's it's the evolvement of the actual filmmaking, capturing the movement, the right camera angles, the right editing, the right cutting to really show that power and explosiveness. So uh, that that's why, like, you could have taken, you know, someone like I don't know. Uh, Scott Atkins, but if he was performing back in the early 70s, he still would have been phenomenal, but they wouldn't have been able to know how to capture some of his crazy-ass stuff, right? It, it would have it would have come across like, I mean, and I mean this with all due respect, we've put this on one of our, we've put this in our top 10, top 5 fight sequence. It would have, Scott Atkins would have looked like Bruce Lee versus uh, Chuck Norris. Yeah. You know, that's just how it was shot. Because even and that's like, still a phenomenal sh- right. That's still a phenomenal sequence. Because even with Wong and Sick in like when Taekwondo strikes and Hopkido, a guy that was doing a lot of the, I don't know, 360 jump spin type kicks and they still look phenomenal, but they didn't exactly know the 100% best camera angle to capture them. You'd see them and you could just, you're like, well, that's cool. Whereas later on, they know, okay, right at this point, we either cut or edit or the whole kick we turn here or this is where we put it on slow-mo. So it's just one of those things where sometimes the players were ahead of the game. Yes. 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 And then the game 
Caught up to the players. Right. So we should mention one person we haven't mentioned is that the end finale villain is Michael Chen Wai Man, a favorite yes. of genre fans, uh, a.k.a. Michael Chan, but uh, who is a uh, both a real life Yakuza, uh, not Yakuza, real <laughs> Wow, uh, I have Lady Snowblood on the mind. Uh, mm-hmm. A real-life triad and Hong Kong police officer. That's why he got fired from the uh, police department. But then it was also a real-life fighter in the sense of he actually, that I've only found footage of one, did a real, what would be like kickboxing match in Hong Kong in the 80s. And we've talked about this, where I believe he fights a Muay Thai fighter from Japan and knocks him the F out. Now, as I said, had that fight gone like a full whatever rounds, the, the the Japanese fighter was much more skilled, especially when it came to the leg kicks and stuff. But you saw Michael Chen Wai's athleticism and ability, and he knocks him out with a crazy ass punch that is so strong. I said, there's no way you could fake that. There's That's not a publicity stunt. That guy is out. And so he had legitimate, like what you would call fighting skills, like, like you know, very basic boxing. Like he was wild and kind of rough, but this dude could throw down. And that is something that, comes into play in this film and he does a great job with the traditional kung fu he's doing in this one too because in a lot of his films Mm -hmm. he was kind of like a hybrid style almost looking like a boxer kickboxing more like muay thai with some kung fu type stuff but in this one he's very much like traditional kung fu and he does a great job with his poses and uh you know his lines and shapes uh however you want to describe it and then in the performance of the fight you see that ferocity come across and that's why once again, I'm actually kind of happy that Angela Mao gets injured right before she kills the evil gen- general and so doesn't really get to fight Michael Chan Wai Man. And instead, Bruce Leung w- runs in and we get to see the finale between the two of them. So you've got that strong, fierce uh, power of Michael Chan Wai Man and then the incredible explosive kicks of Bruce Leung. And it's a fantastic uh, ending fight between the two of them. Yeah, you're, you're spot on there because it, that's exactly the thought that I I had going into the final fight. Like, story-wise, I wanted it to be Angela Mao against Michael Chan. But when uh, when she gets stabbed, you know, sorry, we're talking about the final fight, so there's a spoiler there. But it was so cinematically and as an audience member, we really lucked out. And that was my first thought. Like she stabbed, she can't fight him. There's no way she can like, we, there's no, there's no way we can buy into the fact that these two can, uh, score up when she's injured, the way she's injured and having, a having the fight play out the way it did. And then her rejoining sort of almost exactly, uh, like the undefeatable fight where Cynthia Rothrock joins in right at the very end yeah. there to finish off the villain because the villain is so strong and and uh, he, he kind of reminds the thing that that I really like about Michael Chang is he really uh, he brings a air of authenticity while also being able to uh, while being able to move the way that we need, we want a character of his caliber to move, you know, with cinematically uh, speaking. So it kind of reminds me of uh, the villain in Young Master as well as Dragon's Lord, uh, the two the the villains we had in those films. Uh, you- Wong and Sick. Yes, thank you. Yeah, the, who I was mentioning earlier. Yeah, yeah. well, that also it, 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 it has it, it, to do it with has, the the great costume and you I know. know, but the great costume and the and the, but the way to uh, that. Uh, those those actors are able to authentically just uh, take up space. It's really, really just so well done. 
Yeah. Now, the the costume that he has in this film is we're, we're more specifically referring to the prosthetics. He has like the long white beard with the long kind of scraggly white hair. And I think maybe this is a bold statement. He's the greatest of these long. And now I'm not talking Wang Jingli silver fox style where it's like white straight hair. This is like the frizzy, long, kind of poofy, very similar to uh, Warriors 2. <laughs> the one kicker in that film. And I believe mm-hmm. King Boxer also had a villain like that. But I think Michael Chan Man steals uh, the title of the greatest uh, gray-haired, bearded villain, just yeah, the, the way he carries the, himself. The, the, the not, not, the, not the Silver Fox, but like the, the, the Brillo pad. Oh, Brillo like pad. Sil- silver, like the... That salt and pepper. The gray wolf. Yeah, the gray wolf. That's what we'll call it. I like that. The gray wolf. The gray wolf. The greatest gray wolf villain in Hong Kong cinema. That you could make a very strong argument for that. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he was he was in very good shape, and in some of his later movies, he would actually see him working out, and he has like tattoos all over, and he was always lean and ripped and sinewy, like a guy that actually worked out, not just what I call uh, scussels or fussels, fake muscles or skinny muscles. Like when you watch some of the performers in the really bad old kung fu movies, a lot of the Bruce Plotation guys, even it's like they're just flexing their brains out, and because they're so skinny with such a low body fat percentage, it's like that's not muscle. This guy had like lean ripped strong athletic uh muscle and you know in his face he's got a lean like uh striking features like you know the cheekbones and so it just Mm -hmm. pulls off better whereas some of the other uh gray wolves actually kind of have like the fatter face and it just doesn't come off as scary yeah no no there's no doubt about it even when half of his face is uh shielded for essentially two-thirds three-quarters of the film uh he's still pretty scary yeah, that's and that's a good uh, note right there, too, is that he's behind the scenes manipulating Angela Mao for, for a lot of the movie. And he gets a cool, like big ass Raiden Mortal Kombat hat that hides his face where he's trying to act like uh, he's helping her. But in actuality, he's using her to like kill his old comrades to get them out of the way for one reason or another. Uh, <laughs> but I, I don't think they necessarily clearly explain that. But he, he just he just maniacal. He can't help himself. Yeah, he just can't help to, himself. He just has to kill. Yeah. So uh, that's that's pretty much the movie. You get a lot of action throughout. It's a bit of a slow starter because it's the setup and, you know, it's the the woman going to prison, explaining her backstory, having the baby, Angela Mao being raised. But then from that point, it picks up. And once again, another fantastic finale. And of course, the classic ending. So it's funny. It's like, uh, you know, she stabs him after Bruce Leung's fought him and then they back away and then it's like a slow motion shot uh, from a wide angle slow motion shot and you think they're going to like run in and kick him at the same time or something but no it's just Michael Chan White Man kind of like oh, oh and you keep thinking they're going to run in like do some epic double jump kick on him and then he just falls over and dies and it's the end yeah I would I I kind of personally just love that shot yeah it's just so it's so wide it's so grainy it's so I mean, it just, it feels raw and, uh, they just stand there. And I, I do want to say, you know, one, one thing that, uh, we didn't, we didn't talk about one of the bosses that, uh, Michael, Michael Chan kills is, uh, is one of the men that Angela Mao was seeking revenge for. Yes. And this kind of goes back to like, uh, finding like that Bushido or the martial ah. arts thread, uh, in the storyline. So at one point, Angela Mao is, uh, fatally wounded with poison 
And the only person they can turn to is this mysterious gentleman who turns out to be one of the men who killed her father. Mm-hmm. Uh, Who's been looking he, for redemption and is now like a healing doctor. Yes. And so that's what he's, he's been healing people throughout, throughout his life. And uh, the... Angela Mal's back at the monastery that she had to leave while she's uh, being tended to. And the, the head, uh, the head, uh, what do we call a female monk? Oh, um, not madam. I, oh, the word is, is so not the nun, the, the, not the mistress. Oh, it's, it's something like that. Oh, she, yeah. While, while we contemplate that, uh, she tells him, well, that this, this will be your final act of redemption and he you know he saves her he goes through uh a healing process that uh takes longer than uh the abyss the abyss thank you you just got that off the top of your head no i looked it up (laughs) but so he gets redemption and then after he after he finds his redemption is when he encounters michael chan uh, along his path and uh he meets his demise but he can meet it with uh honor and you know uh the idea, the idea that this film, it's not like a straight death wish film. It's not like a straight 70s uh, exploitation revenge film. This film is, is a revenge film, but it is also uh, sort of mystical, particularly if you go back to the Lady Snowblood uh, uh, roots. And it also is, uh, it also offers that Bushido martial arts uh story arc that allows characters to redeem themselves which for me can make something like this more timeless rather than a lot of the exploitation revenge films that you know are time capsules that uh we don't always turn to for for inspiration yeah no excellent point uh something i completely forgot to mention and yeah it definitely gives it a little more depth uh especially to the characters because it's then it's the, like one of those things obviously he was betrayed by michael chan who then kills him but would angela mao still have gone after him and killed him now in the original lady snowblood version 100 percent. but the angela mao character maybe she has a little more crisis of conscience in that sense uh but we'll never know because she didn't have to confront that issue but mm-hmm. uh, anyway closing thoughts on the film I'm glad you picked this one. I enjoyed it. I also enjoyed the original dub. It was great to hear uh, hear those voices that yep. we've heard in so many other films. And I don't know. It just kind of took me back. Right on, my man. So because we did another what would be Chinese language picture or and I believe it was shot in Mandarin, actually, obviously released in both Cantonese and Mandarin. We decide for our language corner this week that I would do another one. So here we are for our language corner. Okay. so uh, today I decided I had I thought of a few, but I thought this was an appropriate one for this movie. I was like, well, what should I teach? And I was like, well, you know, nothing too advanced or because I try to teach stuff that's real basic that you can use use uh and a a lot of times i like teaching stuff that i learned organically in a sense like not even from a book just from uh especially once i moved to shanghai and i had to learn uh i had already been teaching myself mandarin for like a couple Mm -hmm. years at that point but i really had to learn to survive because it wasn't like when i was just an english teacher and i had staff around me at all times that spoke english this was well not all times (laughs) the story's for another day but once i got to the sports university and i was training full-time nobody spoke english and so uh except for luckily my uh 
classmate Jeff, who had become my personal Sanda coach, a fantastic guy who has a great gym in Shanghai and now has moved into a mall, which is a big deal. And like, yeah, his new facilities are mind blowing when I see them. So he's doing very well. Uh, but anywho, this is an expression he taught me uh, and it's a common one. So uh, it's quite simply uh, Yep. And so from your basic Chinese knowledge, because you, I mean, you learned a little bit as a kid when you lived in China for a year. Could you maybe put together what this means? Is it something for water? No. Okay. Not even close. This is an expression for saying to like kill someone or kick their ass. So I first learned it because my Sanda coach would say, uh, AJ, AJ, dasita. And a lot of my classmates would say dasita, like jokingly when they'd see me get like angry if I was getting my butt kicked or something, they were Mm -hmm. trying to get me to pump me up. So what it literally means is to like beat someone to death. So I mean, they're not literally telling me to beat them to death. So it's kind of like a, yeah, kick his ass. Like, you know, so literally it means like hit, kill, hit, da, and then, which is to die. So to die. So hit to die. Uh, and because they're both third tone, technically, I believe that means the first one becomes a rising tone. And once again, it's complex stuff. So it'd be da si. But most of the time they would say da si ta because ta means he or she. So it'd be like, ah, alu, my Chinese name, alu, da si ta, da si ta. You know, like hit him, like beat his ass, kick his ass. And so I figured with this one, it was kind of an appropriate one because, you know, she's kicking a lot of butt. Interesting yeah. note, one of my very good friends, uh, Antonio, the Brooklyn monk, uh, who speaks fluent Mandarin. He, you know, he got a PhD in Mandarin. I'm pretty sure he passed HSK level six. I remember we were training together and I, I said something like that. I said it. And he says to me, he's like, why would you say that? That's not Chinese. That's not proper. Or like he had never heard the expression. I was like, oh, uh, but then later he heard them saying it because at that time, I think he was mostly doing the wrestling and then was starting to do the sound. I forget what the situation was. So it's another one of those ones where it's like, yeah, you can look it up in the dictionary, but it might not be like a proper textbook term, but it's definitely a real term because he eventually heard them saying it. I remember him saying like, oh, I don't even sure if he remembers this. He's like, oh, you're right. I was like, yeah, now, like, obviously it's, but the way they would always say is, uh, like, it's like fast, like, you know, like hit him, kick his ass, kick his ass. So like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, there you go. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I think you need to put a little more in it. Like on the, I think like you're kind of saying the a little fast. You're like, no, it's. It's one of those funny things where that's why Chinese is such a, is such a hard language. It's like I know. You, you have to you have to put it's like you still have to do the tone in a sense. But it's like the only way I would have ever learned to hear that is the fact that I heard that as people were like punching me in the face and, you know, like really in the, the fire and just hearing them say it all the time. Like death. If I ever watched the the Mandarin language version of uh, Mortal Kombat. I, I want them to say that instead of finish him. <laughs> yeah, no, all the all the time would be Alu, Jayo, Jayo, Dasata, Dasata, Jasudokai, Ah, you know, like faster, faster, kick his ass, let's go, let's go. But all the things, you know, my classmates used to kind of jokingly say to me. Uh, uh, to, they were all very nice. They were trying to encourage me. But anywho, that's it. Uh, any final final notes? Uh, this, it's it's always great uh, sitting down and talking about some great martial art films. Yeah, next week uh, we will definitely be doing a Japanese film. We're going to be doing another Hayao one, so you'll see which one that is. And keep an ear and eye out on social media for some big news probably coming mm-hmm. this week. Anywho, my friend, this has been fun per usual. Good talking to you. All righty. Peace, baby. <laughs>